Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is found from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, which can be found in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles, beginning on page 166. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. And now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again, First Prez, and uh, it's so good to see us all here today. And for those of you who have joined us online, we are glad that you're here with us also. So we come now to the, to the end of the short teaching series that we've embarked on the first five weeks of the year that we're calling our defining values. And why have we taken the time to spotlight these values? And at least in my mind, here's what I've been thinking, because I want for us, and I'm including myself, I want for every one of us, the children, the adults, 
to call this church not just their spiritual home, but it's also the place where we live out these beautiful values. We want to do it right here among our community so that when people talk about our church, they won't just use descriptors as it's that big, beautiful building on the corner of Chicago and Lake. I, we want more than that. We want when people talk about us, they describe us in the qualities and the values that we see listed on that magnet. And by the way, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, pick up one of these today before you leave. Put it on somewhere in your home where you can look at them and you can remember them. Because here's the other thing. We want these values to shape how we behave at home, right? As we say in Jamaica, you can't dance abroad if you don't know how to dance in your yard, right? So we want it to start at home. So take these home with you just to remind you how we want to behave. But we're also looking at these values because it is so critical, especially in our time, where we are a people who walk the talk. Are we perfect? No. But increasingly, that's the direction we're going in. The direction, that word there is sanctification. We want to be more like the people that Jesus, want us, Jesus wants us to be. And so it was in January of 2019, for some of you who may not know this, January of 2019 that the session decided that we wanted to adopt these values as the values that define how we're going to live together as the people of God. So yes, when you look at the list, it's five of them. We want to be known as people who practice Christ-like love. We want to be known as people who demonstrate the spirit-filled life. We want to be known as people who exude the joy of the Lord, not just when we're on the mountaintop, but even when we're in the valleys. We want to be people who exude joy. We want to be people who are shaped by Scripture. And we want to be people, and this is the last one we're going to talk about this morning, we want to be known as the Compassionate Church. And I call this the litmus test. So let's just spend a few minutes just uh, talking about what it means then to be a compassionate church. And today's text actually gets us started in a wonderful, wonderful way. It really does. Because when I think about compassion, compassion is the fruit and love is the root. And when love isn't there, you're going to have a hard time finding the other Christian virtues. When love is missing, compassion is missing. And I think about that story I read years ago, and I was rummaging through some of my files, and I found the story, and I said, you know, I'll share this with our church. But the late Hugh Rudd worked for CBS for many, many years. And he came home late one night after finishing his, uh, his show and was let off by a taxi very clear, close to his home on the east side of New York City in Manhattan. And as he stepped away from the cab, four people descended on him and surrounded him. Could happen anywhere in Chicago, in Evanston, anywhere in the world, in Jamaica. And they said, give us your money. And he said, yes. And he gave them all the money he had. And then one of them took the pistol that he had and started pummeling Hugh Rudd in the head, knocked him down to the ground. And he fell into the gutter. He was concussed. He was bleeding. And he was just a few steps from home. And he lay on that street for seven hours on that very rich Upper East Side of Manhattan. 
A whole parade of people went by. Milkmen, people coming home from parties, people going out to work early in the morning. And as they passed him, he kept saying, help me, help me. And they would look and they would shrug and they would keep going. His wife, though, was at home and she was looking at the clock and saying, where's Hugh, where's Hugh? And finally she called the police. Police went out looking for him and they found him not far from home, lying in the gutter with a massive concussion and bleeding. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, it's the reason. The reason is when love is not rooted in our hearts, then compassion for our fellow human beings will be missing. Charles Wesley wrote this wonderful hymn, Love Divine, all loves excelling. And I just love that line in the hymn because it really couples the idea of compassion and love. And he talks about Jesus. He says, Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded, so you see the, the interconnection of love and compassion. Pure, unbounded love thou art. In Jesus, we see these two come together. And wherever the word compassion is used to describe Jesus' behavior, it describes him in this way. He was filled with compassion, or he was moved with compassion, and then he acted. And so when other people were running from the lepers, Jesus went up to the leper and touched the leper. When other people avoided the, the, the publicans and the sinners and the scoundrels of their day, Jesus, filled with compassion, was breaking bread with them. When other people were seeking glory and power and prominence, Jesus came riding on a donkey. Jesus was laying down his life on the cross because of his love and his compassion. When you think about the problems in society and in the church, the missing element is love, giving birth to compassion, compassion for the, trouble of, for the troubles of others. And so when you think about the reading that we just heard, the Christians in Corinth, they were the most spiritual people you would ever find on planet Earth. They were speaking in tongues. They were operating in the gifts of healing. They had faith. They had knowledge. They had, they had all the gifts, and yet something was, was, was very disturbing among them in terms of how they treated each other, how they behaved with each other. They were harsh. They were cliquish. They were t tolerant of sinful behavior. They were competitive. They were selfish. The word we use today, and Session read a book uh, last year, where they describe what's called a tove church, which is a good church, and a toxic church. And we would say that this kind of behavior that we see in, the, in 1 Corinthians in the church, it was a toxic kind of behavior. And that kind of behavior, it was discrediting, it was undermining their credibility as Jesus followers. They had a good talk, but they had a lousy walk. And so when you read the end of chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, you know what, guys, let me show you a more excellent way. Let me show you a better way to live. And this is where he begins to talk about love. But he starts out by describing a shallow kind of love. It's a, what I call a, a presentational kind of love, not relational. And that is something to think about. I'm guilty of that. How I present myself versus how the way I really am. So a presentational kind of love, a shallow kind of love, and Paul confronts that 
And he says, for instance, some of you are saying, I speak in tongues. Paul says, so what? You could speak with the, the tongues of men and of angels, and if you don't have love, forget about it. Sure, you can prophesy, and you can tell the future, and you know what's going to happen in 2022, but if you don't have love, so what? Yes, you have great faith. Yes, you give your body to the flames, and look how, how magnanimous you are. But if you don't have love, what good is that? So this kind of behavior was performative. It was empty, shallow, superficial. And then Paul decides, but there's a better way to do this. And he talks about deep love. And you'll see that in verses 4 through 8. And Paul shifts the gears, and he talks about a love that focuses on the well-being of others. Now, this is the kind of love that brings us closer to compassion. Now, here's what I noticed about deep love. Scripture says in Ephesians, be imitators of God. Live a life of love. 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And so this kind of love that we're talking about is agape love. It's the love that is not focused on the self, but it focuses on loving God and loving others. And if you've done this exercise before, I want you to do it again. If you've never done this exercise before, I want you to join me in this exercise. But I want you to take a look at the screen and you see where Paul says love is, and he starts out saying love is patient. So I took out the word love, and just in your mind, put your name there. Put your name there. So we could say, Sue is patient. We could say Amos is patient. Or we could go on and say, Ray is kind. Put your name is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, does not resist, insist on its own way. Put your name there, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in doing wrong, but Peter rejoices in the truth. Mary bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want you to really think about that. Could you insert your name and say, this is who I am? Because this is what love is. Warren Wiersbe, the former pastor of Moody Church, senior pastor of Moody Church, once said that compassion must be defined as your pain in my heart. When love fills our hearts, we feel the pain of others, and it sparks action on behalf of the person. So what would it look like to be a people of God here at First Prayers who are compassionate? And again, these are some of the things that session said, yes, 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 definitely. Let's embrace the value of compassion, because a compassionate church exercises empathy coupled with a desire to help. Compassionate church is merciful. Compassionate church is able to see the needs of others and respond to those needs. A compassionate church then shares in one another's sorrows and suffering. So how are we doing? 
how are we doing as a church? So I'm going to give you two examples of this. One kind of negative, the other definitely more positive. Judge Timothy Walmsley. Remember that name? You heard that name before if you've been following the news. He was the judge that presided over the case involving the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery. And before he rendered sentence upon the three men, he had several things he had to say, but I was listening to his comments, and he said something today, in that day, that I still remember. Let me read his quote. He said, I have read somewhere, and didn't say where, and I don't remember where it was, that at a minimum, Ahmaud Arbery's death should force us to consider expanding our definition of what a neighbor may be and how we treat them. I argue that maybe a neighbor is more than the people who just own property around our house. I also believe, he said, in assuming that in assuming the worst in others, we show our worst character. Assuming the best in others is always the best course of action. And maybe, he said, those are the grand lessons from this case. So when we think about compassion and love, we then think about who is my neighbor. And then this, a more positive way of thinking about this. Some of you know these two people. For those of you who don't know them, this is the late Reverend Hardesty Lane and his wife Janice Lane, and they were married for 68 years. Mrs. Lane is still very much alive. Reverend Lane has since passed away, but Reverend Lane at one time was considered the longest serving pastor in the city of Evanston. He planted the Fisher Memorial AME Zion Church some 53 years ago. He watched that church grow and flourish, reaching many for Christ. And when I came to Evanston, one of the first times I met Reverend Lane, I remember he was sitting back there in the, in the sanctuary. And after the service, one of my first Sundays here, he came up, he and his wife, and he introduced, they introduced themselves to me and, and uh, took me out for lunch. And in the course of our meeting, he introduced me and told me about this other organization that he founded, the H.E. Lane Center for Positive Change. And he told me, this is where the, I found this man to be very compassionate. He told me that, and this is the word he used, he was burdened. Compassionate people are always burdened. He was burdened for young men and women coming out of prison only to find themselves back behind bars. The recidivism rate, he said, in Evanston for ex-offenders was very high. And so he founded the Center for Positive Change to help these men and women to be truly free, to be free in Christ and to live their lives with dignity despite their past. And the amazing thing he did, this was a, a very, very visionary kind of guy. He went around all the Evanston businesses and even into the city of Chicago, touting this center and letting people know how important it is to hire these men and women who have recently come out of jail. And he often said the greatest boost to an ex-offender's self-worth was a JLB, a job. And he also said that if a person has paid his debt to society, we should never rob that person of a chance at a real life. Several years ago, he invited me to speak at one of his annual fundraisers, 
And it was there that I first heard the stories of these men and women who were once behind bars, but because of this organization, are on a path to positive living. But here's the kicker. When Reverend Lane started the center, he told me that he was working full-time and he was pastoring full-time. And back then he said, I had no partners. I had no foundation dollars. I had no church partners. But what he had was huge amounts of God's love and compassion in his life that moved him despite all the things he didn't have to make a difference in the lives of ex-offenders. And he and Mrs. Lane spent their money drove their car, got up early in the morning to take these men and women to job interviews and even to work. And you may not know this. Some of you may know this. But you look at that passenger van that's behind them. It was you. This church, several years ago, made the gift of several thousand dollars, believing in what this man was doing, and purchased that passenger van for the center and for the ministry. But even before Reverend Lane was the recipient of our generosity, he knew already that he was blessed. And so he used the blessings that God had given to him to bless others and to touch hundreds of people's lives. Reverend Lane suffered a stroke about four years ago. In fact, I'll never forget it. He was 88 years old. We were, as a group of pastors, were upstairs in the parlor. The Evanston's Pastors Fellowship at that time met here monthly, and Reverend Lane was with us that day, and he was in fine form that morning because he wanted all of us to know he had an appointment to see the mayor at that time, Rahm Emanuel, and Rahm Emanuel was planning on meeting with him to hear Reverend Lane's idea for how churches in Chicago and around the Chicagoland area could come together to play a role in helping to stem gun violence in the city of Chicago, and he never got to do it. Two days after telling us about his meeting with, Reverend, with uh, Ram Emanuel, he suffered a stroke. And then last year, August 11th, Reverend Lane died. And I love those two people. This man and his wife demonstrated for me how the root of God's love bears the fruit of compassion he carried the pain of these ex-offenders in his heart right up to his dying days. And God used them to heal the lives of some. Now, please hear me on this. You don't have to do what they did. That's not the point of my message here. The point of what I'm talking to you about is this. When the love of God is set abroad in our hearts, the sky's the limit to what you can do. And you don't have to do big and prominent things like that. But when the love of God is set abroad in our hearts, we will not sit still in the midst of the ruin and the hurt and the brokenness around us. We will want to do something. We will want to do something somewhere, somehow, for someone. And let me tell you why this is so important. Because now more than ever, Christians are dismissed by the culture because they say we lack compassion. They say they typecast us as being rude and mean and judgmental and argumentative and discordant. And we just don't care. And you know, the thing is, people today, they don't want to know if what we believe is true. 
and I have to keep changing my mind. I feel like I'm, a, I'm, a, 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 I'm doing cross-cultural missionary work today in our culture. I'm really trying to understand how we're going to reach people today. And the reality is people don't really want to know whether or not what we say is true. What they want to know is, does it work? Does it make a difference in your life? And if it's not shaping your life, don't talk to me about your Jesus. I don't need to know whether it is true. Is it shifting the way you treat your wife? Is it shifting the way you relate to your parents? Is it impacting the way you relate to your neighbors and what you say about the people with whom you work? Because if Jesus isn't working on the inside, people are saying, don't talk to me about that. I don't need your church building. I don't need your little songs. I don't need to hear your sermons. Does it work? Does it make a difference? Because when it does, when they see that we've been with Jesus, they're going to take notice. And I pray that will be for us, for you and for me. I'm right there with you. The minute people hear my pastor, they run the other way. Pastor, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. See you later. Right? So I'm right there with you. So I want to live it. My little neighborhood, with our staff. I mean, this is home for me too. With you, I don't want you to be wowed by my theology, right or wrong, my politics, right or wrong. When it's all said and done and they got me in the ground and they've covered, over, covered me over with dirt, that maybe they will put on my tombstone, you know, that brother tried, tried, tried to follow Jesus. And, and that'll be worth it all. That's what I want for us, to be a church filled with compassion. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you if you would uh, pray this prayer with me that I found in the Anglican Book of Prayer. And uh, it has some lines in it that really spoke to me. And I thought, let's, let's pray this. You could pray it quietly. You could pray it openly. Just let the words kind of just wash over you. But here's what it says. Keep, O Lord, we beseech thee, thy household, the church, in thy steadfast faith and love, that by the help of thy grace, and that's the only way, friends, we may proclaim thy truth with boldness and minister thy justice with compassion. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee, the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, and God's people say, Amen. <laughs>